Well, good morning, church, and uh, welcome as we start a new series today called Money Matters. Now, I know we just finished a series, uh, can't remember the, the name of it last week. Been in, oh. Some of you are here that got that, and some of you are like, what is he talking about? Why is that funny? But uh, no, we're starting a new series today on money, uh, and, and some people, you know, money kind of makes us itch when it comes to church, Right? It's been a long-held tradition that, you know, uh, sometimes the church is talking about money again. And there's a reason we do that. We, we believe in, in preaching and teaching the entire counsel of the Word of God. And so then you get to the question, does the Bible say anything about, about money? There's actually 2,000, over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money and finance and all of those things. So over the next several weeks, we're actually going to read all 2,000 verses about finding, no, just kidding. No, that, that was a 27-week series, and this one's not 27 weeks. But now the way we've organized this, and, and, and I, I really uh, like this idea, is we're actually going to do it kind of in order of priority and how money comes to us and how God orders that we take care and steward his finances. So today we're going to be talking about how we make money, how we earn money. And it's this thing called work. We're going to be focusing on work today. And then next week we're going to talk about giving. Because the Bible says that God wants the first fruits of all of our income. So we'll be talking about giving next week. The week after that we're going to talk about saving. Some people really have confusion and some questions about saving. Because, you know, saving and hoarding. And why don't we just trust the Lord and you spend all that you have. And, and But there's actually savings in Scripture. And Scripture talks a lot about saving and Sometimes savings is a great thing. Yeah, it's a bad thing when it becomes an idol in your life. It's a great thing when you use your savings maybe to help someone else, or maybe to fund some of the Lord's work. Then a week after that, we're going to talk about spending. Then we get to spending. How do we spend our money? That's always a fun week. As we look at our priorities in life to say, okay, God, what honors you in the way that I actually spend this money that you have given me, this money that you've enabled me to make and to earn. And then the last week, we're going to talk about debt. Okay, debt's at the very end because we, we want to know, right? It's like, is debt okay? Does the Bible say we shouldn't have debt or, or we should? And then you have that verse about, you know, that the, that the borrower is slave to the lender. And, and man, you know, some of us are enslaved to five different banks or organizations. So we'll be talking and, and working through all of that in this series. And so... Uh, hang on, it's going to be really, really, really good. Uh, I think it's important that we talk about these things in the church to understand how we might be a little different than the world in some of our values. I mean, this, this series we just uh, finished last, last week called Amnesia, it was really about who we are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we forget those things. I think sometimes we forget that in regards to our money as well. But sometimes we just don't line up with the world. Reminds me of a story. There was a, a little a little boy, and he was hanging out with his uncle. And if you can picture it, they're on on a farm. It's a crisp autumn day, you know, crisp weather where there's just that that little touch of cold in the air. But they were out outdoors, and the the uncle was a, a, just a, a professing atheist. He didn't believe in God, didn't believe in any of that. And he's out there um, walking uh, with his his nephew. And uh, the story goes that they were walking out there in the fall, and he said. He's trying to show the nephew, you know, about what does it mean to be an atheist. He said, see, I really have a problem with this. He goes, when you think about this, I mean, if there was a God, okay, why would God do this? I mean, do you see this big oak tree here? 
This huge, massive oak tree is so strong. It's got all these roots and all these big branches and stuff. And these little tiny acorns on this massive oak tree. He says, and then you look over here, and there was like a little pumpkin patch over there. He goes, look at these pumpkins. These, these great, good-sized pumpkins, and they're on this tiny little vine. I mean, don't you see how that's kind of backwards? That's not the way that it should be. And as he was standing there making the statement to his nephew, uh, an acorn fell from the tree and hit him on top of the head. The little boy kind of snickered and, and laughed to himself, and he said, boy, Uncle Bob, I'm sure glad that wasn't a pumpkin, aren't you? You see, sometimes we think that the world ought to be structured this way, and then we realize that if we actually live our lives for God, and we go His direction, and we actually obey Scripture and do what He tells us to do, that you find out God's way is the best way. Sometimes this world lures us into living our lives in such a way that, that, oh man, you don't need to do that, you don't need to do it God's way, take matters into your own hands. Do it, do it the way you want to do it. And when we get focused on the here and now and selfishness and we want to do things our way because sometimes we think we know better than God. But when we read scripture, we understand it's important to know that sometimes we just don't line up with the world. Or I would say it this way, that there are times when the world's sense and God's sense contradict there are times when the world says and what the world says is sensible and what God says is sensible. They just, they just completely contradict each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, it says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, listen to what it says, you should become fools so that you may, so that you may become wise. It seems like such a contradiction. You become a fool to become wise. But it says then, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Because God's ways are so much higher and so much better than our ways that we have to become like fools to the world. And by being fools to what the world says is the direction that we should go in life. By becoming fools to that, we become wise because we're actually seeking the wisdom of the Lord. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that the world disagrees with us about so many things today. The definition of marriage, the world says it's this, and, and yet God makes it clear in Scripture how he designed it to be. The world disagrees with us. Um, there's even confusion today about what a family looks like. There's confusion about gender identity. What, what is that exactly? The world's confused about creation, salvation. Uh, what is truth exactly? And, and, and what about sexual purity? And, and what about what is true love? You know, we've got Valentine's Day this week. Hint, hint, guys. There's your, there's your tip for the week, Tuesday. Okay. Um, you know, all of these things, even, even what it means to be truly enjoy life in this world, to be, to be happy and fulfilled in this world, the world says you have to have these things, and yet the Bible tells a completely different story. The Bible says something completely different. And I think sometimes it's really smart for us to remember we are twice-born people in a once-born world. And this once-born world is going to say, hey, you got to have it this way in life. And yet God's scripture says, but wait, I know a different way. I know a better way. And if we will take our will and our thoughts and bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's amazing how our lives could be different and better. 
because we're actually doing what God instructs us in Scripture to do. One of the ways that we're called to be different in this world is in the area of finance, in, in, in our money matters. How are we to be different than the world? The world says you need it this way. God says it, do it this way. And like I said earlier, today we're going to talk about earning. We're going to talk about work. How do we actually make money? I'm just curious this morning, how many of you need money? Anybody got bills to pay, like gas in your car, food? Anyone? Okay, some people are lying. That's okay. We're church. Get redemption here in a little bit. So how many of you feel like you could use a little bit more money? Anybody got the more money people? More money? How many people um, think, man, I have too much money. I'd really like less money. Anyone? Less money? Sick of having so much money to... Okay, there's a couple smart alecks in every crowd. That's okay. <laughs> but money, we, we need to all understand that money is a big deal. And whether we want to confess it and be honest about it or not, it's something that we need to learn and take our cues from the Word of God and how we manage our financial house. And that's what we'll be focused on for the, next, for the next few weeks. So our main text this morning comes from 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. It's toward the back of the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. If you don't want to use a paper Bible and there is one provided for you in the seat around there, you can always get on your phone, your iPad, your tablet, and download the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid in the app store. After you download that, if you go to Sermon Notes, uh, you can have all of the bullet points today, all of the scriptures, and follow along that way. But the most important thing this morning is that you hear from the Word of God and that you apply it to your life. And that's what we want to be about. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6, says this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Didn't we just read that up in verse 6? They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire doing what is good. What does the scripture have to say for us this morning? I want to share four principles from the Bible about working and earning money this morning. And the first one is this. Legitimate work is a blessing and not a curse. Everyone say, oh, oh, legitimate work is actually a blessing and not a curse. I don't know about you, but when I was a, a child, I used to think of that and think, yeah, there's a lot of people that are hard workers. And everybody kind of had this camaraderie amongst themselves that work was a good thing and we can accomplish many things and and so uh, people got to work and people were, were were busy at work and they were always valuing a good what do we call it a work 
ethic, right? And as I've aged and as I've seen the world go, I, I've seen that maybe that is not the same spirit or at the same level as it once was. I feel like we're a people today that are characterized sometimes by apathy, laziness toward the positions and the work that we are called to do. In fact, it seems like today people want to get out of work as soon as they can. If the office or, or the workplace they, were, were, they work at requires them to be there at 8 a.m., they might show up at 8.15 or 8.20. And if, and if they're supposed to be working until 5 o'clock and that the, marks the end of the workday, oh, they're going to try to cut out about 4.40 and gain that 20 minutes there. It seems that people don't get what work is really all about. They want to cut corners. They want to retire early, right? That's what we all want is for, you know, early retirement. Some of them actually get into places where they might actually cheat the welfare system. Even though they're able-bodied and able to work, they somehow report that they are not so they can collect benefits and have someone else work for them to pay their way. I was thinking about this, and I started doing all this statistical research online, as so many of us do, and I thought this was an alarming stat. 1978, the absenteeism rate for work in the United States of America was 3%. What that means is that when people are scheduled to work their hours, that 3% of the work time in 1978 was missed due to absenteeism from, you know, it could be, it could be from a number of different things. And then I looked it up in 2019. So this is before the pandemic. I know the pandemic messed up so much. And, you know, if we thought people didn't work before the pandemic, people really don't work now, right? I mean, some of us, some of us we know, we know. But this was before, in 2019, the average absenteeism rate for work in the United States is 11%. How did it go from 3% in 1978 to 11% in 2019? And some of us that are, are in the workforce and working today say, hmm. And some of our parents say, hmm. <laughs> We're the hardworking generation, right? And some of our grandparents are like, yeah, man, we got up at 5 a.m., didn't get home till 12.30 in the morning, got up at 5 a.m. again, we went all day, you know. We, we hear that stuff, and maybe we can do this collective eye roll, you know. It's kind of like the story of going to school uphill both ways in the cold pulling my horse behind me, you know, whatever it is. But, but it does seem that we're trying to cut corners to get out of work early and that maybe we don't value work like we once did. And we don't see it as a blessing. We see it as a, as a curse now. But the Bible teaches us throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that an able-bodied person should find meaningful work to do with their lives. We should find legitimate work. Now, some people work, and, and I would say that God in heaven looks down and would say some, some work that people do, and they say, hey, I'm a hardworking person, but some work is not legitimate. Let me explain what I mean. Sometimes I think it goes against God's morals. Maybe if someone was a bookie, or maybe they were um, a, a pimp, or maybe they were a drug dealer, or something like that. I mean, it's obvious that some of those things, you know, might, might be something that, that's not really legitimate. Work. Like, hey, I'm hardworking, I make all this money, and I go out and work really hard at dealing drugs every day. But that's not really what Scripture is talking about. We're talking about le legitimate work where you get hired to do a job that has nothing that is, that is illegal or immoral attached to it. You see, this idea of work actually came from the very beginning in Genesis. Genesis, the book of beginnings, gives us the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And then you get to Genesis chapter 2, 
And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we see this verse, and it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So remember, God had created everything. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. He took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That man was Adam. God just created him, and he puts him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So we see from the very beginning, the man is immediately put to work. Now, some people say, well, that was the curse because of, of, of the fall. But that's not actually true because Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 is before Adam and Eve sinned. That doesn't happen until the next chapter. And so we see that, hey, from the very beginning here, we are intentioned to work. Work was intended to be a blessing and not a curse. But some would make the argument, well, then it is a curse because of what it says in, in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of man. So if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, They've ate the fruit, they've made the mistake, and God comes to Adam and Eve with judgment. And first he judges Eve, and he, he, he says the, the scripture about the serpent will bite your heel, and you will crush his head, and you're going to have great pain in your childbirth, and, and all the women that have ever given birth can say amen to that. Yeah, there's great pain in childbirth. So after that judgment, then God turns to Adam, and we read this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It says, to Adam he said, this is God himself, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, and you need to do that still, okay? I'm not trying to, it's Valentine's Day, folks. We're not, you know, it's not a marriage series. We did that in the fall. But because you listened to your wife and ate from the, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, that's work, you will eat food from it all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now see, some people read that passage and they say, well, well don't you know what it says in Genesis chapter 3 that the curse was, was work? But if you read it, it says cursed is the ground. It doesn't say cursed is the work. Cursed is the ground. It says, because of that, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And then look what else it says. It says it will produce thorns and thistles. You know what I'm talking about, thorns and thistles and crabgrass and dandelions and weeds. And so we find out actually that, 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 that the curse wasn't work. The curse was yard work. It's right there in the text. And all the dads said, amen, amen. But we actually see there that, that work was never really cursed. We were created to labor. There's legitimate work to be done. And when God gives us work to be done, it is meant to be a blessing, not a curse. And we read through the whole entirety of Scripture, and you actually get to Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible, and you can actually read in Revelation 22 that we are actually going to be working and serving the Lord in heaven. So if you're one of those people that have this pie in the sky, I'm going to lay on a cloud with a harp and, you know, do that. That's, you know, heaven's going to be boring and it's going to be like a retirement forever. No, it says we're actually going to do meaningful work for the Lord in heaven. So there's something to this, this work and, and earning money type of thing. Legitimate work is meant to be a blessing, not a curse. The second thing this morning. The Lord commands us to be a people who work and earn our keep. You've heard that before. 
Your parents at some point said that to you. Hey, boy, you need to earn your keep. Go get a job, second groceries at United. You know, you, 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 need, to, you need to go get a job. You need to earn your keep. The, this, the reason for this is really pretty simple. Look, at, look what it says in verse 10 of our text. It said, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, I want to point out something to you there. It says the one that is unwilling to work, which would give you the idea that he's talking about someone who could work. They had the physical and the mental ability to work. And it's saying that that person that is capable of work is unwilling to work. That person should not eat. It's not talking about people here that suffer the, from some kind of mental or, or physical debilitating disease or some kind of condition and saying, well, that person shouldn't eat. Maybe they physically or mentally can't work. And so others have to pick up the slack. But really the principle that he's trying to give us here by saying that a person who is unwilling to work, a capable person of working, who is unwilling to work, should not eat is for this simple reason. If a person isn't working, someone else has to work above and beyond to support the person who isn't doing their work. This is, this is a, a window into a welfare system. This someone else has got to do extra to cover for the person. Now, some of you work in businesses or organizations, and you see this principle at work. This isn't something that's new to you. It's not like, well, I hear something like that, and I don't know if I agree with that, and it's been said that sometimes in businesses and organizations that the workload has this tendency to find its way down to the person that works the hardest and has the most on their plate. Why? It's because they're doers. It's because they're workers. It's because they will get the job done. But isn't it frustrating, and maybe all of us at some point in our life have been there, that when we're working at an organization or a business or on a team with other people involved, isn't it frustrating when that one person won't carry their load, won't do what Scripture says, won't earn their keep, won't do their fair share? And so that means that someone else has to pick up the slack. Someone else has to pick it up and carry it along. And then he doesn't just stop there with, hey, this person shouldn't eat. Then you get to verse 11. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Well, that's kind of weird. What does that have to do with work? They are not busy doing their jobs, they are busy bodies. Now what's cool about the English here is the English does a really good job translating this from the Greek. Because busy and busy body have the same sound in them and somewhat the same meaning. That's actually the caveat. If you went back to the original language, the Bible, the New Testament was written in in Greek, the Greek word does the same thing. It's two words that kind of sound the same. It's got busy and busy body. And what he's saying here is that you're not busy with work, and so you become a busybody, and we all know what that means. We know, we know the slang and what that means is this person doesn't have enough to do, and so what? They do some things that maybe they shouldn't be doing. You see, when people are working and doing uh, something good, they're using their energy, and it's channeled into a positive enterprise. It accomplishes good things. Whatever the mission of the workplace or the organization is, when people are working toward that end, good things are produced. But when people aren't working, their energy becomes available to them to do as they will. And sometimes you get someone that might meddle. There's meddling and there's mischief making. Sometimes there's just idleness which leads to boredom. And boredom, folks, doesn't lead to anything good. 
You see, idle hands, we've all heard it said, indeed, are the devil's workshop. And when we're not doing something to accomplish, to work, to earn our keep, we find ourselves rather dissatisfied. You see, the Lord commands us to be a people who work and earn our keep. If not, we have this tendency to be idle and disruptive and to become not busy, but, but busy bodies. It's interesting also that right there in verse 11 where it talks about that, it was also mentioned in verse 6. I kind of pointed that out when we read the whole passage. And in verse 6 it says this, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Maybe that would bring some peace and harmony and some productivity to our workplaces. It's just to avoid the people that are idle and disruptive and get busy, do your job, and get to work. The Lord commands us to be a people who work and earn our keep. The third thing this morning, work builds a sense of accomplishment and worth. You see, when we work, it builds in us this sense of accomplishment and worth. I think we probably all experience that sometime. When we take on a project and we're doing it and we've got some, what, what, what do they call it? Sweat equity involved in the project. There's a great sense of accomplishment and worth. We experienced that as a, as, as a church and with our, our Christian community, others from outside our church that helped us Friday night at Night to Unite. There is this sense of accomplishment and worth because of the work that we were doing. Now, it would really be absurd for someone to sign up for it, have their background check run, go through all the hoops, go through, a, go through an hour of training and, and prepare and come Friday night and then say, I actually don't want to be a part of this. I just want to sit on the sidelines and watch. Here's the problem with people sitting on the sidelines. They're the ones that are always throwing the stones at the people working hard. Most of the time that people that gripe and complain about other people is because they're not busy doing the work that they should be doing. That's true in the workplace, and sometimes that's true in the kingdom of God. Sometimes those that have the greatest complaints about, oh, I don't like this and I don't like that, it's because they're not actually doing their kingdom assignment. And they're missing out on this sense of accomplishment and worth by doing it. And we need to remember, this is going back to the beginning, but it, it's all throughout Scripture that God is a working God. What did God do as he did creation, right? He, he created, he worked that day, and then he would stand back and say, it is good. And then he creates some more and works some more the next day, and he would stand back and say, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. In John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says this, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he was doing some ministry work on the Sabbath day, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. The Sabbath, he wasn't trying to break the law, he was doing righteous deeds. And the Jews were mad because they'd made all these extra rules about what was work on the Sabbath day. You know, if you took too many steps, then it was considered work. So you, you were limited in the amount of steps you could take. And they made all these rules and all these regulations to try to trip people up. But Jesus pushes back on that and says, hey, my father is always at his work. To this very day, God is a working God. And if we're made in his image, as it says in the book of Genesis, then we would be people who work as well. 
And when you work, there's this sense of accomplishment. There's this sense of fulfillment, this satisfaction that I think you can only get when you work. If you're a parent today, I want to encourage you to give work to your, ch- to your children at a very young age so that two things happen. One, they have this sense of accomplishment and worth, that they understand that. There's something that they'll experience when they see a project or a job or a chore through to the end that's really, really good for them in their development. And the second reason is that they would get in their minds, work equals money. That money just doesn't grow on trees, don't let that acorn hit you or that pumpkin, but that we actually do something and when we do something and we're productive and we produce and we work, that that is how we can earn some things in our life. That is how we, we earn our keep. If you go too far along and you don't do any work for a while, it's amazing how people struggle, sometimes even in the mental health department. They, they have this feeling of guilt. They, they don't really like being unproductive. Their value, you see, is in their work, and they see themselves as a contributor and not just a consumer. And I believe as Christians, this is a part of our maturing process. We are called to be contributors, not just consumers in the kingdom of God. Now, there's this point at which if you are a brand new Christian, you're going to be a consumer. If you are a baby Christian, maybe just knew it coming to the faith, you are going to be a consumer, and we expect you to be a consumer to some degree. There's a time when period where you are going to spend your time in in, in a discipleship group, in a a Bible study on a Wednesday night, and in a a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning, and and you're going to attend worship services, and you're you're going to be consuming all of that. You're going to be learning the scripture and taking it all in and, and hopefully applying it to your life. But there's also this point at which your next step toward faithfulness, your next step toward growth is for you to actually take a next step and become a contributor and not just a consumer. Can you imagine what a church would look like if it's just full of consumers? They wouldn't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. But most people, deep down inside, they don't just want to stay a consumer. They want to become a contributor and to actually use their resources their time, their talent, their testimony, and their tithe, and to put those into use for God's kingdom. And we are hoping and praying that everyone in our church would mature to this place where now I'm a contributor. I mean, really, some of us, let's be honest, we've been in Bible studies for 25, 30, 35, 40 years. Do you really need to be in another Bible study? Do you really need another Sunday school lesson? Do you really need to be in another Wednesday night group? I mean, how long do you consume before it's time to give back and contribute? How long do you get taught before you start teaching? How long do you keep consuming until you start giving? It's something for us to consider. I know some of us are like, oh, we've got all kinds of excuses. I haven't been trained, and I'm not qualified, and and, and I still sin every once in a while, and God is, you know, couldn't use someone like me. But I wonder how much kingdom work And how much more could be accomplished for the kingdom if God's people would step up and do what he's called us to do and be contributors to the work of God. Work builds this sense of accomplishment and worth. Last thing this morning. A job well done pleases the Lord. A job well done pleases the Lord. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, 
Sometimes we read scripture, we breeze right by it. But let's pause here for a second and think about this. He says, whatever you do. What does that mean? Whatever you do. Everything you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. You know what he's saying there? He's saying give maximum effort. Give 110% to whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as you are working for the Lord. And look what he says next. For those of you that don't like your boss or don't like your manager, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And all of the managers and bosses and business people and people that own businesses and run companies said, Amen. Please give me someone that will actually work with all of their heart. That they don't come in dragging themselves into work tomorrow 20 minutes late and give me about 50% of their effort. They're actually on time, alert, and ready to roll. What a blessing. What a testimony of what a Christian could be and should be. That I'm not trying to cut corners and I'm only going to give you 50% and I'm going to give you 50% bad attitude with my 50% of my work pace. No, what about, what about going above and beyond? What about staying late when it requires you to stay late or coming in early when it requires you to come in early? It's... It seems like a lost thing in our culture, and it's so refreshing if you're in any kind of management to see somebody do that. In fact, a lot of times I talk to business people and managers, they actually like to reward people that do that. You haven't had a, a raise in several years? Maybe try working a little harder. Might be blessed for it. And you'll have this sense of accomplishment and the sense of worth, and you'll understand that a job done well pleases the Lord. When you do a job with effort and excellence, God is pleased. So many times we view our life as a life of worship. We use that terminology, oh, I live a life of worship. And we think worship is Sunday mornings, right? We sing those songs earlier, and we're going to sing a song here in just a minute, and oh, that, that's, that's worship. But what if work was a part of your worship? What if you glorify God in what you do? What if your job, Monday through Friday, and how you do it was your worship. Because maybe that's exactly what it is. Your job performance Monday through Friday is worship. And you reflect the character and the glory of God in how you do it. There's one more thing I want to address before we close this morning. And that's this idea of retirement. So many people today want, want retirement. They want retirement. And they want retirement what? Early, Right? 15, 20 years, you know, I don't know, 20, 28 years old, I'd like to retire and, and be done. But here's the, here's the truth, folks, is you don't ever really retire in your life because you weren't created to be retired and to do nothing. One of my mentors uh, said this one time, Bob Russell said this, he said, when you retire someday, you retire to something, not just from something. And the reason he said that is because there's always meaningful work to be done. You may get to a point in life where you're like, I don't need compensation for the work I do. I don't need to earn money anymore because I have enough. Great. That doesn't mean that you retire from work for the rest of your life. Or what did our scripture say? You might become idle and disruptive. Not busy, but busy bodies. 
There's a value into having something to do. And I want to remind you, too, that there's always kingdom work that needs to be done, ministry work that needs to be done. One of the biggest untapped resources, and most pastors would agree with this, and I've heard this before at a conference, is some of the most untapped ministry hours are in our retired population. Now, I get it. Retirement's not a bad thing. You, you, you get sick of having to, oh, I got to get a dress code. I got to dress like dress code. And I got to get up. And I got to be there at 8 a.m. every day. And I got to work till 5. And I, I get that. And maybe when you retire and you don't need that income source anymore, you, you don't have to get up and be there by 8. Maybe, you, maybe your work starts at 9 or, or 10. And maybe you don't work till 5 o'clock. Because I know in the winter it gets depressing. Sometimes, you know, you get out of work a little bit late. 5, 30, 6 o'clock is dark. You know, it's like, where did the day go? I didn't. No idea. It's nighttime already. I mean, I get that. So maybe you're not working as long, as many hours, but you're still called for meaning, meaningful work. And some of us need to make that shift in retirement to become kingdom workers and to say, yeah, I don't need this job that earns an income and earns me money anymore, but I, I have some kingdom work to do. And maybe I don't want to work 40 hours a week. Maybe I only want to work 20, but I want some meaningful work to do and imagine what the kingdom might look like if we had people giving half of the time they used to give to the workplace to the Lord's service in ministry what an untapped resource for the kingdom because you know what Jesus said you remember the verse right he said the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few Let us be workers. Let us represent Christ well in our workplace. Let us be a blessing to our managers and our bosses. And I know some of you are in circumstances, you're like, your boss is, you know, he's mean, and your manager, you, you struggle with respecting them because they're so disrespectful to you. But we're nevertheless called in Scripture to be workers. And maybe you need to make that mental shift that when you go into work tomorrow, you're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. Jesus is my boss. And when I can make that mental shift, it's amazing what I can do because I know I'm representing Christ. I'm ultimately working for him. For others of us, maybe it's that time where we've been lazy, apathetic toward our job. It's time to step it up, to work hard, to accomplish something. There's, there's so much more I could say about this topic today, but God blesses those who work. You've seen it from the beginning to the end. We're called to be workers. But don't ever lose sight that we're also called to the most important work in the world, kingdom work that serves the kingdom of God.